Are you ready to open your Bibles? All right, open your Bibles to the book of Acts, please. I think I heard one woo in the back. Excellent. That's it. Open your Bibles to the book of Acts. We are in this series called The Spirit-Filled Church. What that means is we want to learn what it meant to be a Spirit-Filled Church so that we can live what it means to be a Spirit-Filled Church. Oh, I'm so glad for enthusiastic response. How many people want to live what it means to be a Spirit-Filled Church? Let's pick it up today. There's a little, a little bit shorter passage. Just chapter 5, verses 12 through 16. The apostles were performing many miraculous signs and wonders. Well, that's just good. We already got it. one amen. Very good. All right. The apostles, I'll start over. The apostles were performing many miraculous signs and wonders among the people. And all the believers were meeting regularly at the temple in the area known as Solomon's Colonnade. You know what that basically was? The patio. Heritage Colonnade. Oh, we're going to have a service in the Colonnade. Oh, on the patio. Anyway, Colonnade. But no one else dared to join them even though all the people had high regard for them. Yet more and more people believed and were brought to the Lord. Crowds of both men and women. As a result of the apostles' work, sick people were brought out into the streets on beds and on mats so that Peter's shadow might fall across some of them as he went by. Crowds came from the villages around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those possessed by evil spirits or unclean spirits, and they were all healed. (laughs) What is the Spirit-filled church? The Spirit-filled church is a life-changing church. Luke tells us that in verse 12 that the apostles were performing many miraculous signs and wonders among the people. Now taken together, this is at least the third summary that Luke gives us of the Jerusalem church. The church will expand beyond Jerusalem. In fact, it will in this pericope that we're in right now. It's going it's, to, it's bursting over the lines of the city limits. But this is the third summary that Luke has given us. And in each of his summaries, he has told us that, the, that there are miraculous signs and wonders, or there's works of power, or there's healing. All this stuff is going on. And what we need to come to grips with is that we have to have this conviction that Luke intends the readers to understand that the Spirit-filled church is a miraculous church. The Spirit-filled church is a miraculous place and a, and a miraculous people where, where and to whom and through whom miracles happen. 
But not just that miracles happen. In Luke's language, he wants us to understand that in the Spirit-filled church, miracles are many. Somebody said many. Some people don't mind the idea of, ooh, an occasional miracle like a, like a four-leaf clover. Luke doesn't describe miracles like they're four-leaf clovers. I've got a friend. That's a crow. You better beat it. Yeah. All right? Miracles are many. They are normal in the Spirit-filled church. There's a reason for that. But as we recognize that Luke constantly describes miracles as being many in the church, we have to pause as the contemporary reader and, and answer the question. Every church of every age is presented with this question. What are you attempting that could not be done without the Spirit's power? We cannot settle for attempting to do what is possible by our own ingenuity or by our own creativity or merely by our own resources. Oh, we want to spend everything God has given us. But even in using every ounce of creativity and ingenuity and energy that we have, we must be a place that what we do, we attempt by the power of the Holy Spirit. We must do what only he can do. Now, there are many, I guess I would say, who claim that miracles are clustered around revelatory epochs. That means that there are those that say miracles only happened, past tense, around periods of time when books of the Bible were being written in order to confirm that these were supposed to be books of the Bible, except for that is a gross misrepresentation of what the Bible says about miracles. First of all, as the books of the Bible were being written, very few of them said, and this is going in the Bible. (laughs) Nobody said that. They recognized it after the fact. (laughs) I think most importantly, when, when, we, when people say that miracles point backwards, they, they, they fundamentally misplace the purpose of a miracle. Miracles do not point backwards. Miraculous signs and wonders confirm the hope of our salvation. Hebrews chapter 2, in verses uh, uh, 3 and 4, the writer of Hebrews says, This great salvation. Yes, we can say, well, I was saved. I remember I received Christ. I put my faith in Christ. And that's the Bible says, yep, you're saved. But what that means is you're saved, you're being saved, and you are awaiting our full salvation. We are awaiting that time when we all stand before the Lord and we find our names written in the book of life and then forevermore we are with the Lord and every curse is destroyed and there's no darkness and there's no sea, but that's another explanation. But we live in blessed fellowship with the Lord Jesus forever. That is our salvation. You know that. That's our salvation. We are saved for that. We're saved now for then. 
Woo, try to say that with you because we understand what's a miracle for. We are saved now for then. And so this great salvation was announced by the Lord Jesus and then delivered to us by those who heard him speak. And God confirmed the message of what? That we are saved for. God confirmed that by signs and wonders and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit. In other words, signs and wonders testify to our salvation, which begins now, but but it ultimately is yet to come. Signs and wonders and miracles are, once again, messages to us from God that eternity is real and is trying to get our attention. It is the inbreaking, Hebrews says, of the powers of the age to come. Drawing our hearts when we experience these. Yes, of course, in the immediacy, it is, is the, it is the expression of God's tenderness, his kindness, his love toward us, his compassion. Absolutely. And they testify to us when we experience, when we receive the, the, the working of the Spirit in any way, all of the gifts of the Spirit, all of the signs and wonders and miracles. The purpose beyond the compassion of God for, in the moment is to pull our hearts toward him in trusting obedience and in anticipation of the salvation yet to come. Therefore, miracles are not electives. They are absolutely necessary to remind us they are the influence of heaven in our lives. They are the assurance of heaven in our lives. And as a people, we absolutely need the influence and the assurance of heaven all the time. Our message is, is, is eschatological, not historical. We are a people who are stamped with the future. We are not just storytellers. We are hope dealers. We preach hope, not history. Therefore, the Spirit-filled church is, by definition, a place and a people for miracles because they are the evidence of our hope. Luke continues that all the believers, oh, we should say that together, all the believers were meeting regularly at the temple in the area known as Solomon's Colonnade. Luke has already told us and repeated it to us that the believers devoted themselves to togetherness. Gathering for them was not an elective. It was a must. But they didn't do it under compulsion, but under desire. The gathered community was the epicenter of life and strength. And again, the writer of Hebrews talks to us and says, let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and to good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another. And listen to this, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. The writer of Hebrews penned that two millennia ago. 2,000 years ago, they felt such an urgency that we must keep meeting together. We must keep encouraging each other because Jesus is coming. And if he was coming then, he's coming sooner now. There was urgency then. There's a greater urgency now for us to gather together, encourage each other, encourage each other toward love and good works and strengthen one another as we in, because why? We are a people of the future. We are anticipating the future. We are a people characterized by hope. And we nourish the hope and strength of one another as we gather. 
the spirit-filled church gathers. Verse 13 is a curious twist. But no one else dared to join them, even though all the people had high regard for them. No one else joined them. Uh, the, Luke, the term Luke, Luke uses is called the rest. The rest of them didn't join them. And in uh, Lucan language, this, this comes to mean, and then Paul will pick it up later in, the, in epistolary literature, it means unbelievers. Or those who are going, you know, committed to unbelief. Luke is saying the church met, but unbelievers didn't just join them. They, had, they respected them, but they didn't join them. Interesting. That means that as the church gathered, non, there weren't non-believers that just, come, that just came to hang out. I don't know, maybe that makes us feel a little uncomfortable. It's not that they were unwelcome. In fact, there's, there's the Paul Harvey. The rest of the story uh, is in verse 14. But we need to hear verse 13. Unbelievers didn't, didn't, didn't come and just kind of hang out in the church. If you came, you became a believer. Or you didn't come. It was easy to tell the spirit-filled church from everyone else. Their mission was not to blend in. The spirit-filled church does not blend in. It stands out. Yet, verse 14, yet more and more people believed and were brought to the Lord. Crowds, multitudes of men and women. Look at how Luke says that on one hand, the rest didn't dare join them. Yet at the same time, more and more crowds of men and women believed and were brought to the Lord. This is the thing about the Spirit-filled church. The Spirit-filled church is both alarming and appealing. The same anointing will cause some to keep their distance while others cannot be kept away. The Spirit-filled church does not grow by being like the world. That has never been the strategy of the Spirit-filled church. We are a people marked with heaven, marked by heaven. We don't grow by being like the world. We'll just become, we'll just grow more like the world. And since we're talking about it, and it's not in my notes, every time the church has attempted to, to fit in more, she's become far less effective. She's lost power and influence and credibility. Do you see that? Do you see the nuance in verse 13? They were different and respected for it. They were different and they were respected for it. But when she seeks to not be different, she may gain um, acceptance, but she'll lose respect. Ooh. Hang on, I need to write all that down. The Spirit-filled church does not grow by being like the world, but by bringing the world to the Lord. Verse 15, as a result of the apostles' work, sick people were brought out into the streets 
on beds and on mats so that Peter's shadow might fall across some of them as he went by. That's really cool, but I also want to give us just one more caution. Sometimes folks in their enthusiasm for signs or wonders and miracles have said a bumper sticker statement that has that that has found traction in books and conferences. And the bumper sticker statement sounds something like this. Signs and wonders are for the streets. Signs and wonders are for the streets. Miracles are for the streets. If you want to, if you want to see them, you got to go out in the streets. Uh, sure, I'm all in favor of signs and wonders. But here, the reason why they were happening in the streets is because people heard what was happening in the house. The house had a reputation for healing. The house had a reputation for healing. And so when folks left the house, folks out in the street said, maybe they'll pass by. <laughs> so that Peter's shadow might fall across some of them. What? What is the deal with Peter's shadow? There's nothing magical or superstitious. It's not about... What's that thing? Winter, fall, the, the groundhog? Anyway. Yeah, yeah, Phil. This is Peter, not Phil. This is far more simple and far more powerful than all of that. Here's the deal. Here's the math. Peter was bold in his witness. Somebody should say Peter was bold. We, from, from the day of Pentecost forward, anyway, Peter is bold. These are not drunk, as you suppose. They're just filled with the Holy Ghost. God has glorified His servant, Jesus Christ, by giving this man perfect health in the sight of you all. And He has promised the Holy Spirit to all those who obey Him. Repent, and, he'll, and that, that, that He might send times of refreshing from the presence of the Lord. He was bold in His testimony about the power of the name of Jesus and the promise of the Holy Spirit. And his boldness awakened hope from others. Boldness will do that. Your boldness will give others hope. Spiritual church is bold. And your boldness will be a source of hope to others. Why, were peop- why would people cluster around Peter? Because his boldness gave them hope. His boldness invited their faith, and the Holy Spirit did the rest. His boldness prompted their faith, and the Holy Spirit did the rest. The word shadow here is actually the word overshadow, which is cool, because it's, it's more of a verb than it is a noun. It could be read, Peter overshadowed them. When we read it that way, we understand that Luke has used this phrase, overshadowed, at least twice in his writings already. The first time he uses the word overshadow is when Gabriel is talking to Mary. And Mary says, how in the world am I going to give birth when I'm a virgin? And he says, oh, The power of the Lord will come upon you. The Holy Spirit, God's power will overshadow you. 
And then later when the disciples are with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration and the cloud of God's glory comes, it says that they were overshadowed by this cloud. So in Lucan language, when he says overshadow, he's always talking about the presence of God. People weren't touched by the presence of Peter. They were overshadowed by the presence of God. Peter carried the shadow of heaven. The Spirit-filled church carries the shadow of heaven. And there is every reason to believe and to expect and to yield to and to anticipate and to seek for the Holy Spirit to be as effective through your shadow as you are present in your world. (laughs) Shadow is the evidence of light. You look around, because the sun is up, there's shadow all over the patio right now. Last night at this time, all the shadows were gone, because the sun set. Shadow is the evidence of light, and there is nothing as effortless as a shadow. Shadows happen when I stand in between the light and the need. Shadows happen when I stand between the light and the need. Your shadow is stronger than their sickness. Your shadow is stronger than their oppression. Now, some might say of me that it is irresponsible for me to make such claims. Because, after all, I might get your hopes up. I have no greater desire than to increase your hope. This claim that I make this morning is not mine. I am simply proclaiming what has already been claimed by this book. If anything, I'm underselling it a bit. Now, because of all of this, in verse 16, Luke says, Crowds came from the villages around Jerusalem. You hear that? Battleground and Yakult and the Shug. They all started coming on in. Crowds came from villages around, bringing their sick and those possessed by evil spirits, and they were all healed. Back in the day, I used to read this and and chuckle and say, you know what it sounds like? They ran out of sick people in Jerusalem and had to start importing them. And I'm still in favor of that. But also what's probably happening is this. Hope is contagious. It spreads fast and it spreads hot. There is nothing that so finds that finds such resonance in the human heart as hope. Luke tells us that hope drew multitudes from the surrounding communities. Friends, hope is a greater draw than any of our marketing and all of our media. Uh, once again, we're going to spend every dime, every bit of energy we can to do every single single, single thing we can to, to spread the word about Jesus. But ultimately, there's nothing as powerful as raw yes. hope. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Mufasa. <laughs> I'm going to write down raw hope. Whew. 
I got to sit and think about that one. The spirit-filled church is a beacon of hope. And so sick people from all over were brought, people brought their sick, and they brought those who were, now the NLT says, those possessed by evil spirits. That's the most common vernacular. The more wooden version is probably even resonates with a little bit more. It says they brought those who were harassed, vexed, or tormented. And we remember that Jesus had compassion on the multitudes. Why? Because they were harassed and helpless. And so they brought the sick and the harassed and the tormented to the spirit-filled church, and they were all healed. What a magnificent claim. We can never lower our expectations. We must never surrender our hope. If we surrender our hope, where will, where will they find it? We, will, we must never turn away from the suffering. But we must allow the light of Christ upon us to overshadow the suffering with hope and with help and with healing. The Spirit-filled church exists to make bad people good and sick people well, and bound people free. The Spirit-filled church is a life-changing church. There's an old song we used to sing, and I don't think I, I, I don't remember the last time I've actually sang it with people, but I do sing it by myself. And I imagine there's probably verses, but all I know is this part. You won't leave here like you came in Jesus' name. Bound, oppressed, tormented, sick or lame. Because the Holy Ghost of Acts is still the same. You won't leave here like you came in Jesus' name. This is what it means to be the Spirit-filled church. And so, by God's grace, may we live it. If you're ready to be baptized today, we've got a tank ready for you here. We're going to just dial in and lean into the front. If you're ready to be baptized, Pastor, I'm going to need you to focus on water baptism, okay? as folks are getting ready to be baptized we're going to just take a moment and I'm going to ask the worship team to lead us in this chorus and we're going to ask the Holy Spirit to come and just fill us afresh let's just spend a moment waiting on the presence of the Lord together team thank you Yeah. 
ready to help us baptize this morning? Yeah. Pastor Lane, are you leading this? All right. Yeah, this, All right. Is, this is Karen. All right. We'll talk. Let's have Karen have a mic. Well, he'll hold the mic for you. We'll just keep you. <laughs> anybody you getting? Yeah. Uh, Karen, tell us in a sentence about what brings you here today or a sentence or two, you know. I'd like to renew my uh, faith in God, mm. strong to have it be stronger. Good. I mean, I already have a faith in God, but I just would like to renew it. Yeah. And uh, be blessed and by the Holy Spirit. Good. Receive Jesus Christ into my heart. Yeah. Wonderful. And just. I'm glad you said that, and I'm glad we're recording that, because I want everybody needs to know that water baptism is intended to occur as you come to faith in Christ and commit to being his disciple. But we also have embraced it as a time, a rite, if you will, of renewal, of recommitment, of awakening. And so we welcome folks to just publicly say, I want to renew my faith. I want to renew my walk with Jesus. And I want to just declare to him and to the world, I'm a disciple of Jesus. So good. Now, I asked about Pastor Lane. I was hoping that you would tell us why Pastor Lane's with us. Can, we, can you want to tell her? Who can tell us what's going on here? Well, this is my mom. Yeah. So. Well, I call her mama. This yeah. is my mama. Yeah. <laughs> so and, I'm very proud of her. This and that is means awesome. that Karen is 100% loved, yeah. safe, privileged status right That's here right. in this place. That's right. All right, we have Ol. We have Ol. Do you want me to pray with her? Can I pray with yes, her? Yes, please. Okay. Yeah. Karen, at Heritage, we anoint people with oil as they're preparing to be baptized. Because we expect, we ask now, that just as your Savior before you, that the Holy Spirit will meet you in these waters of baptism. The Spirit of the Lord will come upon you in a fresh way, in cleansing, in renewal, 
and an empowering. We ask that even the gifts of the Holy Spirit might, might just come flowing out of your life as you walk in new fellowship with Him. Since we live by the Spirit, that same Spirit that quickened Christ, that raised Him from the dead, we now live by that same Spirit. Since we live by Him, may, may you follow His leading and surrender to His holy impulses all the days of your life, even as He seals you for the day of redemption. Amen. Amen. Ready? Remember, when Karen comes back up, wait just a moment, and all of us are going to invite the Holy Spirit. We're all going to say, more of you than that. We're all going to say, yeah, good, right? But don't, don't clap until you say that. Sometimes you start clapping right away. Come on, then we'll celebrate. You ready? Okay, go ahead, Miss Jess. All right. Okay, Mom. This is my privilege. Thank you, Jesus. Mm. And we just baptize you this morning in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Yeah, celebrate. Hey. God bless you, Karen. God bless you, church, family. Thank you, musicians. Listen, let's stand together and give the Lord an offering of thanksgiving. Can we do that? Can we just thank the Lord? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Hey, friends, listen. Right over there on the other side of this huge patio in the shade is all kinds of food. So if you'd like to stick around and have some more fellowship, go ahead. Go right over there. Before you do, find your kids, will you? Go grab your kids. Don't leave them back there. Grab them and feed them, okay? God bless you. Thank you for being here. Hang out. Say hello to somebody.